This week on a lively experiment, Speaker Mattiello under fire, accused of overstepping his authority and continued fallout from the governor's proposed budget. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights this week, former state representative Patricia Morgan, Bill Bartholomew, producer of the Bartholomew Town podcast, and Bob Walsh, executive director of the National Education Association, Rhode Island. Welcome everyone, I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. Well, this time the speaker blinked. Faced with the threat of a lawsuit, Speaker Nick Mattiello canceled an audit he ordered for the Rhode Island Convention Center. The minority leader of the House said the speaker acted unilaterally and improperly, an allegation the speaker brushed off. Uh, Pat, let's begin with you. <laughs> there are multiple layers to this story. I think the first thing you thought was, boy, the Republicans have been a asking for this uh, audit for a long time. Now they're not. There's a lot more to that. So let's talk about set the table for us about the JCLS. That's really the Joint Committee on Legislative Service. That's really at the heart of this, isn't it? That's at the heart of it. Um, there are five members, uh, two are Republicans, three are Democrats, three from the House, two from the Senate. And you were on it? I was on it. How often did you meet? Once. In how many years? I was there for two years. Yeah. So we met once. Um, they, they control a $45 million budget and uh, it's it's unfair. It's unfair. Um, obviously, the speaker has kind of unilateral control over it. It's always been a sticking point with the Senate. Um, I think the bigger issue for me, though, is a lot of things are messed up in Rhode Island, and the, the convention center is one of those. And so I was very disappointed that that audit was pulled. Listen, you can't use your political power for political retribution. You just can't do it. It's it stinks, it shouldn't be allowed, it can't be allowed. But on the other hand, uh, I keep saying, somebody, when was the last time any of you guys heard about the speaker's audits, the audits that he's, he's ordering? Never. Anybody? Yeah. Never, never. never. So somebody who didn't want that audit leaked that to the media so that there would be turmoil and chaos. And now over it gets it. quashed. So let's and set now the, it got quashed. Let's set the table, they didn't so. want the audit and they stopped it. And in the in the another thing is there was really highly sensitive personal information in an H from a human resource position leaked to the media that causes that young mother a lot of stress in her life. And they leaked that, too, to stop the audit. So let's set the table. The allegation is the speaker, because he has a friend who was the head of security at the convention center, um, was upset. He got put on uh, leave. And so the speaker, again, is retribution. This is all allegations, which he denies. So a lot of intrigue, but I think it shows a lot, Bill, about the power of the speaker, what he can do. But this time, somebody, you know, Blake Filippi said, no. That's it. And it's about consolidation of power in Rhode Island, not only politics, just Rhode Island's spheres of influence. It's almost like the pyramid in Rhode Island, if you think about the power, it narrows even more than the average pyramid when it gets to the top, and it's reflected in these types of situations. Good on um, uh, Leader Filippi 
for filing the suit, although separately, yeah, maybe there is a, a question about quasi-public agencies, specifically the convention center. I mean, I don't have any information specifically that there is, you know, corruption or wrongdoing oh, inside do. of the convention center, <laughs> I so do. I can't Studied sit here and say this, so I would turn that to you, but if there is a call for that and the, uh, the process is a majority vote of the JCLS, that's one thing. Here we have a single uh, individual making that call, and Speaker Mattiello, who chairs the JCLS, and that's inappropriate. Uh, as it probably always has been. I told uh, Pat before the show I'd find all sorts of things to agree with her on, which always confuses the audience. Uh, I imagine if Patricia Morgan was still minority leader, she might have uh, said, I think the process was wrong, but the audit should go forward and accomplished a goal that she's had for a long time. I think you tweeted out the Charlie Brown with the football snatched yeah. away at the last minute. Yeah. Because you wanted the audit, and that's a separate issue. I fully agree with you that the underlying personnel issue, having that get leaked and shared, was absolutely inappropriate. People have a right to their privacy while issues get investigated. And those laws are very strict. <laughs> and those laws are very strict. Employees. And, that is, and that, is, that is a horrible side to this. And then you get to the issue of uh, the Joint Committee itself, which has been a perennial issue well before, you know, I've, you know, I've been involved for a very long time, and it's always been an issue. There were building management issues that are appropriately decided by a joint committee. I mean, it is, it is a large building with a lot of operational things that can be decided jointly. There are issues that probably would be better decided by subcommittees of the House, having oversight of the House and the Senate, having oversight of the Senate. If I was going to redesign the world, you might still have a joint committee that only met on those joint issues, and there would be subcommittees where the House got to deal with their own issues and the Senate got to deal with their own. Now, and one area we won't agree on, it's just pure partisan politics. There are more Democrats than Republicans, so the Democrats would probably still control the ball. Well, and, um, and, <laughs> and if, if I had the perfect world, I would have more Republicans up there. You have to spread the power around, and that prevents a lot of Yeah, corruption. and you tried very hard, and you it, put your money really where your does. mouth is, and you ran yourself. But, but before that happens, there really needs to be where all of the quasis go through an independent and even a forensic audit from time to time. I mean, there needs to just be a regular schedule because there is unbelievable issues at the Rhode Island Convention Center. We studied it. The Republicans studied it five years ago. It should have been investigated five years ago. And now it's not going to happen because somebody leaked information to prevent well, it I'm from not happening. sure it's not going to happen. I, I think that the underlying point of ongoing oh, audits now has got the light of well, day. I don't know if the JCLS just, should be doing it. Let me that, just but ask I think you a quick see. question because we've got a lot of issues to cover today. So, you know, you had to pick your battles as minority leader. And look, you've got to live with the speaker and you hope that your legislation is going to get through. I think this is worth going to battle for, for Blake Filippi, your successor. But I also wonder, does this mean every piece of legislation with an R next to it is not going to pass? What's going to happen the rest of the session because in effect he's poked the speaker in the eye um i don't know right i don't know i i picked battles i i picked a lot of battles <laughs> with the speaker in fact um I, but to me the jcls is not the battle that really affects hard-working rhode islanders the most I, I think the convention center authority actually affects them more um, because it is so poorly it's a managed. Loss leader, yeah. yeah, it's just so poorly managed, and so it's it's just wasteful. So the battles I I think we should be choosing are the ones that really help Rhode Islanders live better lives. Okay, uh, the uh, governor's proposed budget. People are still picking through. I think we're going to be seeing this a lot of this session. Um, 
again, she's uh, relying a lot on taxes, surcharges, some things that the uh, leadership has said, DOA. Bill, you've had a couple of weeks to look at this. Give me, the, give me your overall view about this budget. Uh, I think that her announcement that Rhode Island is going to become entirely uh, renewable energy powered by 2030 is a major announcement in the sense that it shows that the administration, and they've already been doing this for a while, they fully acknowledge that the industry for green and blue tech is emerging and that it has a real shot in Rhode Island to be not only, um, you know, put Rhode Island into a, in terms of climate change or any other environmental questions, but also spur labor and, and, and really generate industry. So I felt like, and I was there that night, and I felt like that was really the major turning point in, yes, it's a major remark that you could say is um, wishful thinking, but if you really break it down and you look at Orsted going into the Wexford building and just some of the maneuvers that are happening uh, in terms of solar siting and other aspects, I think it's a major industrial position that hasn't been analyzed from that angle enough. Give me your view on uh, education, what you think. She's going to include an extra $30 million. What else are you well, looking at within um, the budget? You know, I think all budgets, proposed budgets, are beta tests. They put it out there and we see what's going to work and what's not going to work. And I think the governor, uh, I'm generally happy with a lot of things in the education budget. Uh, obviously, I would have gone further. Um, another place, Pat and I can find common ground. I want balanced budgets. I just want it balanced on a much higher number and with more resources. And I get that's one of the political differences that we're going to have. Do you not think a um, billion dollar increase from the from the governor during the time that she's been there were at 10.2 billion? Yeah, now, see, don't you think that's unsustainable? No, I think that we don't talk about and explain the budget to the public in a normal way. I saw someone complaining, oh, Massachusetts uh, does it for X dollars per taxpayer less than Rhode Island. The $10 billion budget, uh, proposed budget, is $4.2 billion, Federal. which is still a lot of money in right. general revenues. Income tax being the most, then sales tax, and then if you want to look at them collectively, the sin taxes, gambling, uh, the proposed uh, marijuana money, uh, alcohol, uh, and tobacco, all combined generate like half a billion dollars. Uh, a lot of the money is passed through, and in our budget, unlike a lot of other states, we count money in and money out to get to that 10 billion. So we're counting all the tuition that is getting paid to University of Rhode Island, Rhode Island College, CCRI, and then going right out again as part of the budget. Massachusetts doesn't do that. They just count the net amount they put into higher ed. So if you're going to do the comparisons, you're going to do apples to apples comparisons. But we are small. We are a small state. We are therefore less efficient. And we are paying more because we are less efficient. You've got to accept that. And, but despite all of that, we are spending less, you know, in, in my turf, on K-12 public schools per pupil than Massachusetts. We pay our teachers less, and even when that's factored in, we spend less per student. You and sat, you just got to acknowledge you it. You sat on the House Finance Committee watching a lot of those budgets increase, and I know you're not in the trenches there, but you're paying attention. What, what is your overall view on this budget? We keep uh, the Democrats keep finding more and more ways to squeeze money out of taxpayers that are already struggling. If we look at um, the chronic deficit that's in our budget, it gets worse, it doesn't get better because we are not doing the steps in Rhode Island to make Rhode Island's economy grow. Instead, we're picking over the few people who are still left. And, you know, we keep, we keep saying, whoa, people are leaving, right? Keep, we're gonna lose a congressman. 
that's because we haven't done those reforms. You can't keep going out to the same group of people and saying, okay, we're going to squeeze a little bit more out of you here and a little bit more out of you there, and we're going to raise the cost of living. Um, at some point, average people just say, we can't do it anymore, and those that can are leaving. Um, we have the third highest uh, exodus of graduates in our state. We're the, the state with the third highest number of graduates leaving Rhode Island. So we're educating them here and we're doing a good job educating them here. But then they leave because they can't find the opportunities here to start their yeah. careers. Now, and part of that is because we have a robust higher education system with a lot of very good colleges and universities. Absolutely. And part of it is because those opportunities aren't there. So again, there is some common ground here. When I graduated from college a long time ago, when Jim did, so that far long ago, there were a lot more job opportunities in a lot of areas. There were more banks, there were more insurance companies, there were more startup computer uh, operations. Uh, there were more manufacturing facilities. There were a lot more opportunities there. I'm now. glad so you mentioned technology because that is a place that we keep saying, the governor, the Democrats keep saying we want to grow our technology sector. And yet now the proposal is to put more taxes on the technology sector. What you punish, you get less of. Except for if we come full circle and embrace industries that, are, that have almost zero footprint here in Rhode Island, like green energy, blue tech, maybe cannabis, um, other things that are not here yet, there's an opportunity to create jobs that are eventually, you know, lower tier jobs eventually may be automated. You know, not to turn this into Orwellian conversation, yeah. but we need to think about how do we stimulate industries that don't either, either don't exist yet or are just getting moving and how can Rhode Island no, leverage our and, position geographically know, and the fact that we have these institutions here in Providence and around the state that bring in you know, future thought leaders in different spaces that you're right, they leave the state for the most part. And, and, and I think it's not choosing winners and losers, it's making Rhode Island a fertile ground for any company that wants to come here, any company that wants to expand and grow here. And that means we have to take the weight off of them, not put more weight on them. Well, and that's where a robust education system uh, plays into it. Now, where I would differ, and this should not shock anyone, I would have done what we did in the early 90s in the wake of the banking crisis when we were revenue uh, impaired and just put a higher tax rate on the highest income Rhode Islanders and done it that way. I support the reduction of the car tax under its current schedule because that's real property tax relief. And when Governor Kachiri was governor, he appointed me to a commission. We didn't agree on a lot, but he appointed to me a commission looking at our taxes. And our property taxes are more out of whack with any other state than any other category of tax. And the reliance and if we're give for real, education. That but right. if we're, yeah, absolutely, we over-rely uh, for public education sure. on property taxes. But if you're gonna get real relief, it's, and, and still support the programs you want, it's got to come from someplace else. We're never going to be, because we are smaller and more inefficient, competitive in the short term with the way Massachusetts is, if we try and provide their same level of services. So if you're going to even that burden out, we should be evening the burden out. I'd rather be 26th on every list, um, just below the middle, and get some level of tax equity than be a huge outlier on property taxes. Um, we're weird on sales tax because we've got a high number, but it's narrowly construed. And, and I think we have to look at the points that Ken Block raised about the potential impact of that particular tax. And, you know, the governor's, because um, I read the budget and the budget message, 
point was, if you go to the store and buy a piece of software, you're paying sales tax on it, but if I go to Ken Block and buy a piece of software, I don't. If that's true, and that's an apples-to-apples -apples comparison, and it's just an aberration, all right, maybe we have to deal with it. They pointed out that several years ago, we got rid of the uh, excise tax on wine and hard spirits, uh, or we put in the excise tax, but got rid of the sales tax, and it was supposed to be revenue neutral and increase sales. It was revenue negative and didn't change sales at all. So they're trying to fix that, and they think that'll be you know, positive. And if and that's true, we should yeah, do it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Rhode Island doesn't have a revenue problem. We're bringing in $10 billion a year. It's not a revenue problem. We have $10 billion budget for a million people. We have a spending problem. Yeah, but we don't have a $10 billion budget because you're we not going to get rid of the university of Rhode Island and a billion year, though, dollars. That federal money, if you rely on it, and then ultimately it dries up. People say, oh, well, a lot of that's federal money. It's a whole... Doesn't well, a lot matter. Of it's We're spending for the folks ten billion. Right. Yeah, Which, but that, I, it doesn't. Yeah. Listen. But that spending dollars, drives the economy too. Federal dollars <laughs> come from taxpayers too. Yeah, yeah, and, I pay. I pay a lot yes. of right. I love how right. people always dollars go. Are, are printed though, and if you re, if we're going to go in real macro, you know, we got to remember <laughs> that we're dealing with you know the economic monetary system that we have globally and you know you can break it down and say look we should go to the alternatives just let's make a resource-based economy everyone you know it's probably so, bigger than our uh, scope here today. a little <laughs> bit bigger but so, it's a good you know, point we got to get tom segoras back on so he can yeah. like translate oh that. god forbid we need three hours <laughs> let me let me go uh, you had mentioned cannabis yep and so legalized although the governor put in 20, 24 million, it's probably going to be DOA. The industry itself, and they're having hearings early. They did gun control early. You know, it'll get probably pushed off to the end of the session. But we're seeing significant stuff early. Cannabis, the cultivators were up there. So set the table there and where you think that's going to go. Because there's a power struggle also with the governor and the leadership. And there's going to be a lot this session about marijuana. Definitely. And the model that the governor's proposing is akin to the New Hampshire liquor stores. I guess that would be one way to look at it. I personally think that cannabis for legalized, for legalized recreational, recreational anybody over the age of 21, et cetera. Um, I personally think that cannabis, marijuana, et cetera, should just be legalized on moral grounds. I think at this point that, that when it gets broken down as an economic problem, I think there's the criminal justice problem. I think it's just a social issue that has by and large been, um, you know, criminalizing has become an overreaction. That, then secondarily, the industry and who can get involved, who can be a player in this industry if they want to, that's really where, and Steph Machado did some outstanding journalism on a, a long-form piece on this, sort of explaining the, the players. again, the players. And if you, it, it's not an insider deal, it's not corrupt, it's none of those things, but it's something else that would make it very difficult if you didn't have substantial funding and access to get involved in this new industry. Um, so, And I think that that's unfair. I think that the state controlling it is, you know, you have medical patients that do grow this for themselves to, to take care of themselves. Um, the governor's current proposal would remove the ability for people to do that. So it's, it's, a two, it's another one of those two-track things. One, I just think that it should be legal. There shouldn't be any conversation. Right, but government but secondly, has to get involved because they want to tax it. And we found in Massachusetts, so we asked two weeks ago, Pat, when this came out, if we had a $100 million surplus, do you think the governor would be proposing this? No. She no. says it's not about no, the money. It's about not. the money. I, and I, and I, I, I profile, I don't profile as a liberal on this issue. I'm all for decriminalization. I don't want people put in jail for decisions and use. Right, no, and, I'm, and I'm saying that. Right, no, no, I'm, and I'm there on that, and that wasn't hard for me to get there because I think a disproportionate number of people of color were ending up in prison on this particular issue, and that was just wrong. I, I don't. 
I think we're going to eventually end up in the business. I don't like it. Um, I thought it was a clever proposal that you follow the New Hampshire model if you're going to do it, but I don't. Duty I, I free, think you're right. <laughs> I, I think you're right. I think that the only reason this ended up in the budget is because of the revenue issue. Um, I don't like the. See, I, I, I have Patrick Kennedy echoing in my head. And, and, I, and I'll just He's be right honest on about this. that. He says he started there, ended up at a worse place. And so it was a I gateway know, for him. And I gateway, and and I know other anecdotal situations of people who of whom I am very fond who say the same thing about their own journey, and it troubles me. And you can make the same argument about alcohol. I know that I've had these debates with friends because people don't expect me to have this position. They say you should be out there. So I think this concerns on this issue articulated by the speaker and the Senate president. I happen to agree with. That, so you know, government should never make a decision based on how much money are we going to get from this, yeah, right? right? It should be about whether it is a public good or not. And I don't believe it's a public good. I Why? don't. What's the, what would be the negative that Okay, of, of I've actually done quite a bit, of, bit of, of study of what's happening in Colorado. I've actually gone to Denver, talked with the people who are actually studying some of the effects, good and bad, of what's happening in Colorado. It's already legal there. And there are there are bad effects. Um, okay, so more DUIs. Oh, well, only a few of them are fatal or serious injuries. Well, Would you pass a law where you said, well, we know that it'll increase DUIs, but not too many people will die from that. No, you wouldn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I, some people do get caught. It is a gateway for some people, not for everybody, but maybe it's eight, nine percent of the people, it's a gateway for harder substance. Would you actually pass a law that said, well, it's going to be okay for everybody but eight percent? No, you wouldn't. Do you want the last word on that? Again, I just, I just would disagree um, that it's it, it just, again, based on anecdotal evidence, um, I just don't see coming from a person, I'm 35, my world around me, uh, I have never seen uh, a good reason that uh, cannabis should be in any way, shape, or form criminalized. I think that you already have people who are going to access it, utilize it, drive, et cetera, et cetera. So any kind of, if you look at Colonel Manny, Attorney General Narona, what are they saying? They say that we need to find a way to avoid DUIs. And in order to do that, you have to acknowledge that you have people using this yeah, particular substance. You know, so. a, if a kid shows up with a bottle of vodka in school, we know that. If an elementary school walks in with a bag of gummy bears that they got from the wrong shelf in their house and we wipe out a, you know, not wipe out, but impair a class for the day because they pass out gummy bears that were actually bought in one of these places, that's a problem. And I don't know how... I don't know how you, I don't and, know how you get around it. It's a very practical problem in my real world. It's a practical problem. Um, the, the statistics show that there's impaired learning going on oh. in their high schools. They're underweight babies. There are all kinds of things. Now, Colorado is really grappling with this. They're trying to wring out the bad effects. They really are. They're they're putting a, a lot of time. They're not going to not allow it to be legalized anymore. So they have to deal with the bad effects of the legalization. I think we wait. We let them go ahead and figure out yeah. how to how to ameliorate those those. I realize I lose my effects. liberal credentials. All right, let's uh, let's go to uh, let's do let's do outrageous. And then we may have a few other things. Bill, what do you have this week? Uh, this story, Edward Fitzpatrick put it in the uh, the Boston Globe that judges, uh, police, firefighters, and legislative members are going to be able to have tinted windows here in Rhode Island. 
Look, I mean, I don't really care about that. I've, I've fantasized about putting some kind of police or contractor lights in my van. You, you know, you pull, you pull up to PBS studio, you flip the lights on as you're backing in or whatever. It's one of those things. The beautiful you know, people, right? The beautiful people. Come on, enough of that stuff. It's bad that we, we already have a perception that there's an insider club here in Rhode Island. Sometimes there is an insider club. The more you do to draw a line in the sand for the average person who's just trying to make a living. Bill, have you been to a wake for a politician or a judge recently and all the special people come in the back door? Bob, Bingo. what do you have? Uh, since I've last been on the show, uh, a number of the cities and towns in conjunction with the League of City Towns filed a lawsuit against the governor, the speaker, and the Senate president not liking the continuing contract bill. And they're allowed not to like the continuing contract bill, which they call the Evergreen Bill or the Lifetime Contract Bill. Um, I, I think that it's a waste of taxpayer money because it's the, the lawsuit itself is a pretty straightforward constitutional case. It says, gee, uh, constitutionally can can this happen? The first question is, can cities and towns sue the state? And the answer the U.S. Supreme Court's always given is no. The second question is, does a home rule charter get them out of that? The answer, in my opinion, is no. And even if both those hurdles are passed, they're going to lose the case because it's not really a substantial and permanent contract. But the underlying outrage in this is okay. the cities and towns who signed on to this lawsuit with Angel Taveras, who's representing them at $450 an hour, agreed to a binding arbitration clause if they had a dispute. And that's what they had always been fighting over the years. And even worse than that, we got a subpoena on this case. Now, I don't have a weigh-in on the Constitution. And it was a fishing expedition about why did we endorse the governor and not endorse this and all sorts of things that are totally irrelevant to the underlying constitutional point and all about political payback by the guy who lost to her in the primary uh, five years ago. And that is ridiculous. And the cities and towns and the taxpayers are paying for this frivolous lawsuit. And it's an incredible waste of money. And they should just get out of it. It's a loser of a case. It's a waste of time, a waste of effort. And not only is it bad law, it's bad politics. You think that Leader Filippi is going to have some problems with this legislation. There are 16 cities and towns that have to go up there and say, I know we're suing you, but can you give us some more help? Did Just you want to crazy. weigh in on that before you get to yours? <laughs> no. You look like you had a little <laughs> eyebrow thing going there. Like you no, were, okay. it's, it's a long conversation. Uh, so. <laughs> um, I have two. Sure. I guess I'll pick the veterans' home. Uh, five years ago, we opened a beautiful facility that cost taxpayers a lot of money. In fact, at one point they came back, I think they asked us for another 30 million, we gladly gave it so that our, our infirm, our senior, our, you know, our, 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 our military veterans would have a nice place to end their, their days. Now they, they can't feed, feed them adequately. They want to take 100% of whatever income they get. It's, it's mismanaged. That's an outrage. It's and the problem is, that, that's a very small problem, uh, symptomatic of a larger problem, Symptomatic right? of a lot of things in Rhode Island government, exactly. Well, but at the veterans' home, I mean, you can't, you're not going to balance a $3 million problem with, you know, you wiping out the, the Taking beans. an extra right. 40 bucks from a veteran, exactly. Ham I mean, it's sandwiches. like crazy. Sandwiches, they can't get yeah. the, their physical therapy. It's just, you know, it's... Did you have one other you wanted to give? The truck tolls, right? Um, oh, I looked in the last budget, and the last budget said we were going to get 41 million from tolls, and I guess we're only getting what 16, 18. Um, one, we shouldn't have them at all. Um, it is it, one way or another, consumers pay for it or taxpayers pay for it, um, and it makes us less friendly to the rest of the world. So, 
Uh, the whole thing is just, again, just endemic of what's wrong with Rhode Island government. Okay, folks, I'm sorry. That is all the time we have. Pat, good to see you again. And Bill and Bob, you actually do talk to the Republicans, huh? Every now and then. <laughs> oh, we agree on much more than I get in trouble. I get more in trouble agreeing. But <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, folks, if uh, you don't see us at our usual time of Friday at 7 o'clock and Sunday at noon, you can catch us online. We post all of our uh, episodes on YouTube. You can see it through the Rhode Island PBS.org page and check us out on your favorite podcast. Bill knows all about the podcast. If you, uh, if you want to take us along with you in the car and listen to Lively going from here to there, wherever you get your favorite podcast, we're there too. We will see you back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.